Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a podcast for everyone who's fascinated about how our minds work, mental health and all things therapy. Ask the Therapist is hosted by me, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse, cognitive behavioural therapist and author of the CBT Journal. I've over 20 years experience of working in the field of mental health and I hope to educate, entertain and simplify all things mental health and therapy. So sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. In this episode I talked with Chris Winston. I met Chris through Mary Welford. They had connected on Twitter and Chris was able to attend an event in Manchester a couple of years ago that I organised where Mary was a speaker, so we got to meet in person. Since then we've become friends on social media, liking and sharing tweets and posts around mental health, therapy and compassion. Chris has a blog called Underwater Breathes, where he writes about his experience of mental health and recovery. His latest blog is particularly moving, where he talks about his wife's illness and how they manage as a family. Chris talks about the things we all need to be talking about. Our lives are really tough. We all struggle, but we all have the social mask of I'm fine, always firmly in place, and this disconnects us from each other. We feel, oh, it's only me struggling, everybody else has it together. That's not the case. So let's start sharing how we really are and how we really feel. Connection is crucial for our well-being. And along with sharing his journey, boy has has Chris worked on connection. Just Google hashtag 365 days of compassion. He has built a community on social media that's so active and engaged, sharing different aspects of compassion, which warms your soul each and every day. What I love about the community is that it's such a mix of people and I feel part of something that is really supportive and helpful. There's also a blog around 365 Days of Compassion. I wrote an article for this blog about my journey against all my normal senses, but I was inspired by the way Chris has shared his journey. So I put it out there. I felt pretty sick and pretty vulnerable, but I received lots of lovely emails and feedbacks, so it was very rewarding. When we think our experiences are different, actually, when we share them, we find out that we all have much more in common than what separates us. I do hope you enjoy the episode and to make sure you get alerted when an episode is released, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Reviews are also warmly welcomed. They really do make a difference in the reach of the show. So sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. So hello, Chris, and welcome to the podcast, Esther Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. Could you start by just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your journey so far? Yeah, hello, Sarah, and thank you so much for having me on. You know, I'm a fan of this podcast, so it's always nice to be on something that that you've kind of watched right from episode one. My journey is one that's probably quite common in one respect to to, uh, many people, in that I suffered quite severe depression I probably have for, for most of my life but it didn't really uh, allow it to kind of surface or or to really acknowledge it until it became too overwhelming a few years ago which is why I kind of went into therapy which we will we'll obviously talk about in a, in a little while I guess since that happened um, I left work and I've kind of been working on managing that depression learning about it and a whole load of other things that have kind of led on from that in social media and um, and also now doing a degree in psychology wow that's a hell of a journey isn't it i think it's like your life completely turned around it is actually uh, it is and um for someone that's kind of usually likes to have plans and you know like in my professional life i was 
project manager for a long time, program manager, senior manager. I was very used to having plans and looking forward. And, Gosh, yeah. and you know, there aren't any plans with, with something like depression. And actually, that's one of the big things, I guess, um, I've learned is, is kind of let go of some of that kind of wanting to control and wanting to mm. know what's going to happen tomorrow and, and kind of going with what's happening today. So that was part of the problem, do you think? Planning and control and... I think possibly, yeah. I think, uh, yes, actually. <laughs> um, right. it, it, in terms of from a career point of view, you know, I had that kind of instilled and had those skills and yeah. that was part of my kind of corporate life. And um, I think uncertainty, I always find a little bit difficult. You know, even when I first went into therapy, actually, I was kind of, kind of saying to my therapist and actually to the GP when I was kind of first diagnosed, like, so how long are we talking? You know, is it three months, four months? You, know. you wanted a project plan around it uh, kind of but but now I look back on that and I kind of realize that yeah. actually that's nonsensical because uh, at which point do you actually go okay that's that's that sort of move on because that, I for me at the moment that isn't how I view it I don't think you just suddenly go do you know what I'm, I'm recovered now I don't think there is that kind of milestone that you, you hit I think you just learn as you go along so I think you're right I think there is a there is an element of that control freak that probably did play a part in there as well yeah because sometimes when things feel a bit out of control we try and put control in don't we and plan and kind of get more control but then that sometimes the problems the solutions can become the problems as well but yes it's like having to-do lists when you end up realizing that you have a to-do list to do a to-do list (laughs) and and you're adding things onto your to-do list and then just cross them out which give you at least some sense that you've done something you kind of realize that you've probably taken that a bit too far (laughs) (laughs) you remember your first therapy session and what that was like you know I, i i'd love to say well, actually, I do. Uh, what I would say is I have a terrible memory. I, I also don't know whether some of that is that things are quite emotional. I've kind of have a bit of a block around them. I don't know. But yeah. um, I, I, I do. And also, I always think, you know, when you look back at things, your memories, you create stories, don't you, around your memories? Yeah. But I do. I do remember the first session with my therapist in terms of. I just rambled as I'm starting to do now. So this was this wasn't the kind of first formal therapy session. It was that kind of introductionary one, you know, to meet and, yeah. and get to know each. You know, and were you nervous I, going? I think I was, and I think I rambled on about the wrong things at the time. <laughs> I think I rambled on about because it had been very stressful at work just before I was I'd left work. And I was kind of going on and on about that, and I didn't really talk about how I was particularly feeling. I never talked about other stuff that had happened and stuff. So I think it was just a, I don't know why I'm why I'm saying what I'm saying, but I was just saying stuff, and it, yeah. it kind of came out in a very unstructured. Even though I thought I prepared for it, I just I hadn't. I'd, I'd gone along. The, the other thing I think is probably worth perhaps sharing is that even even in second and third therapy sessions, I still was not responding to the word depression well and what I mean by that is even though I'd been quite an advocate of mental health at work and I didn't see a problem with talking about depression I kind of didn't accept that it was as serious as it is and actually I still use the word actually as well because I used to I used to do mental health talks at work and I used to kind of say to my team you know if you've got troubles come talk to me but I never shared that I was struggling and um yeah, I don't. I, I I think I really struggled with that. Well, depression isn't serious, is it? It's not like cancer or whatever. And it was kind of, it was probably a good few sessions in that I started to feel a bit more comfortable mm. with that. 
Yeah, because what you're saying is probably a story that I'm quite familiar with, that sometimes sure. people just need to come in and just talk. And sometimes that's just about establishing the rapport, isn't it? And sometimes, I know I've recently had another course of therapy, and I was like, I just want to get it out. You know, in the yeah. first few sessions, I was just, I was felt very rambly. But when people say to me, oh, I feel like I'm rambling, it never comes across like that. I think as a therapist, you're kind of formulating a lot in your mind mm. and you're doing a lot of work in your mind putting it together and I think it's I think it's part important part of the process isn't it was yours that therapist was able to pick up that block with depression and that you weren't really able to yes. say the word and yeah she was I mean I actually I revealed before who, who my therapist I'll, I'll use her name rather keep saying my therapist so Nikki did she, she, she asked me a few questions around that and actually it was through the discussions that kind of then led me on to the first time I wrote about it which was which was probably I think it was probably around about the fourth or fifth session maybe so you actually started your blog then around the I did but it was very different to where it was now so it was a Facebook post um, so it would have been right. actually no, actually no, it would have been a little bit longer than that because it was two months into to therapy actually. But what happened was was that it happened to be the World Health Authority organisation, sorry, um, International Health Day, and it was on depression yeah. that year. And I suddenly thought, you know what, I'm going to try and write something about this. So I wrote something just for Facebook, and so just for you know the the, the, yeah. the group of friends on there. Um, and I took it that the day before that was actually a therapy session. So I took it along to therapy and I sat down and said, this is what I've kind of written. And, and Nikki kind of went, yeah, yeah. it's really good. It's really good. And so I put it, I posted it out and the reaction was really nice on Facebook. A lot of people didn't know why I was off. Oh, wow. Yeah. Partly because work, well, work, hadn't, work, work hadn't really said anything about why I was away. And it was very visible because, you know, I had, I had a large, I was a senior leader. So it was, it was visible that I wasn't there yeah no one really knew why and it, it shocked a lot of people because I was very good hiding it so the reaction was so nice I kind of did a follow-up to it and then um. Nikki Nikki did one of those things that you therapists are so good at <laughs> one of these little <laughs> psych- psychological nudges she kind of said to me I think yeah. about three weeks after that in one of the sessions oh would you ever go more public with it and I went no no I don't I don't think so and then and then she happened to share on her on her business Facebook page uh, a Buddha doodle you know the little Buddha doodles. oh yeah yeah I do like Buddha doodles yeah. yeah and it was one that said something along the lines of share your story with the world I saw this midweek and I kind of thought I've got my fourth blog post which was the uh, the one that I wrote about being on a different train when you're reflecting and ruminating and yeah. and and I thought, actually, this that one's not quite so personal. Maybe I could go public with this, and so I did. And that was the first, that was the first then public blog. So I've kind of then gone, you know. And then I, I actually shared then the three more private ones I've done originally on Facebook. I then added those to the public blog. Wow. So I kind of within you know therapy really helped there in terms of going from someone that wasn't really prepared to talk about this thing called depression to someone who's now writing about it. And you have quite a successful blog, I must say. I mean, it's a really, I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's so useful. Thank you. Was that scary? I won't lie. I think and, and even now, when I, if I publish something, yeah. there's, a, <laughs> there's a moment when you've actually pressed publish. That yeah. You kind of think, oh, actually, oh, I might want to take that back. 
and and I usually find it depends on the post as well. So, for example, uh, the, yeah. the, the the most recent one is probably the most personal one I've ever shared, which was about um, my wife's illness and how that's affected the family yeah. and the role that's played in mental health. And that one knocked me for a few days. I'm not going to lie. Afterwards, I was feeling right. quite, quite um, vulnerable for a few days. I'm actually slightly overwhelmed by the kind reaction. This is something else that I find quite interesting for me. When I get really nice comments about the blog or you get nice support, it's, you know, it's like, it's that flow of compassion, isn't it, back from other people to you. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my first reaction is to make a joke of it, which is which is really bad. And I got much better at kind of saying, oh, you know, thank you for that comment. And, and Actually, I found that when I did the blog, I mean, I don't really write much about me. As most people do find it quite difficult. But when I wrote that blog for the... Um, 365 days of compassion and I you put it out there it's like putting it out into the world you don't get much back and then I did get a few really lovely emails from people mm. that had found it helpful and that could relate to my story and that made it all worthwhile you know you just say oh I'm so glad I shared that, uh, that that's where I got to I think I think because I had a positive reaction with, in my yeah. early blogs so the other thing that kind of was happening at the same point as I was writing the blog was the support that I started to get via social media. So I'd used Facebook, but I'd never really been a big user of Twitter at that stage. And yeah. through Nikki, I realised and discovered, I guess, that, that two things on Twitter. There was a very strong, supportive mental health community like Delights of the Blurt Foundation. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that all of Twitter is supportive, because it's not. <laughs> but there are areas like the Blurt Foundation or whatever where you can get some good support and you get information yeah. which is really helpful and at a time when you don't really want to speak to anybody and you're staying at home kind of thing then then actually it becomes a bit of a lifeline the other thing was i discovered that a lot of psychologists and therapists were actually on twitter i'm actually quite active on it in terms of discussions yeah. and stuff um, and again some of those discussions get a bit heated so i tend to stay away from them but the great thing was that what i discovered through nikki was i kind of connected with some other people so I connected with um, Richard Bennett and Jim Lucas for example mm. and then I then discovered Jim has a podcast for example and then I started listening to his podcast and Mary Mary Walford appears on that and I discovered that she's yeah. very active on Twitter so whilst the blog it can be very vulnerable the reaction and the support from that kind of groups are you know is is has sustained that and helped you know I had my small group initially of what I call the compassionate Yodas which is now a big group actually I should, I should stop kind of referring to the small one because there's so many compassionate Yodas but there was kind of this this the, the small group initially and they just just by the fact that they were sharing and kind of responding I think helped the blog's changed as well I think if I look back now some I still share some obviously I say the most recent one's been very personal but yeah. some of the some of the more later ones became more about compassion focused therapy and mm. and how that has helped me but not necessarily specifically to kind of to me but you know some of the more I'm, I'm trying to get some of the concepts across of it yeah can you tell me about the first time Nikki talked to you and we'll link to Nikki's on very active on Twitter she says a lot of good stuff mm. we'll link to her in the show notes um, can you tell me the first time Nikki talked to you about it started to introduce compassion to you? Uh, yeah, this is a really interesting question because I think if you I think you said to me before I went into therapy or whatever, well, yeah. when you're in therapy, someone's going to be talking to you about acceptance and compassion. Are we going, I would yeah. have just gone, yeah, it's not going to happen, is it? It's just not going to happen. So yeah. 
I always think the experience I had in therapy was brilliant and, and I would obviously yeah. everyone kind of had that experience I had yeah. because what, what, what Nikki did was not to say all oh, right we're going to do compassion focused therapy and it was she brought in elements of it without really kind yeah. of necessarily referring to it so I can't remember the specific time when she talked specifically about compassion what I what I can vividly remember is her drawing the three circles so yeah. saying to me uh do you want to talk you know kind of should, should we talk about this model which was you know and obviously talking about threat drive and and, and the affiliation piece and the soothing yeah. and my memory of that is that one it made sense um, yeah it was kind of like oh, okay yeah and then secondly I had quite a strong reaction to the word drive so the drive is the motivational system that sometimes collapses and, and triggers depression isn't it that we it is it too much but it's like yeah. all these words. It's like all these words. Drive had a neg- had a big negative connotation to me. So, so um, I think it immediately brought into my mind kind of workaholic and somebody like that. And and that wasn't what I saw myself. I don't see myself as a particularly driven person. Yeah. Um, as you work through these things in therapy, as you work through the that three system model, you realise actually there is a healthy drive, but it's keeping it healthy. It's keeping it aligned yeah. with your values as opposed to you know being driven by external factors or because you think you have to do something which is probably where I was in the past you know where you know uh, oh as a manager I had to be you know I had a a global team so I had people working for me across the world so I always felt like I had to be available for them which when you've got some people Uh, in Hong Kong and then some people in India and some people in the US that's a big time zone. 24 hours a day isn't it? And, and oh you kind of think, I need to be available for these people because I want to be the best, you know, helpful manager for them. I want to be uh, yeah. a, a leader. And, and and actually, they, you know, that isn't a healthy drive. And I think that's why I had a big reaction to the word drive. And it took a little bit of time for me to work through that. I think compassion yeah. itself, once I understood it, I don't think I had a particularly strong reaction to the word compassion. Mm-hmm. Other than I think I had to go away and read about it and so what actually I can remember Nikki saying to me had I ever heard of Paul Gilbert of which I point yeah. I haven't and she suggested a couple of books and that was mm-hmm. one thing you know from a, that's probably one of my learning styles as well as I like to read so I got the book that Paul did with Chodra Mindful Compassion is it yeah and and read that and that started to make a lot of sense to me and that yeah. uh, and it took any kind of other connotations that I've had around that word, it really clearly explained them. Yeah. And I think what's lovely about compassion-focused therapy is that you start, I mean, I probably work in a similar way to Nikki in that, in that I do the three circles with most people that I work with as a way of kind of thinking, if we understand how our minds work, then we have more control over it and starting to introduce that it's not your fault, your brain's wired in a really tricky way, you know people really relate to that it's it's like such a weight off that oh my god that's how my brain works it's so so important and then from that you can kind of move into the kind of developing why developing compassion is so important for our brain and why we need it for our psychological health and well-being I think so it's a model I once described as elegantly simple and I, and I, I the first time I met Paul I, I apologize for describing it that way because I kind of felt like I was undermining all his work but to me yeah. it is an elegantly simple um, yeah. you draw that circles and it's well to me anyway it clicks yeah it does and it I think it's one thing that I do in therapy that people go 
oh my gosh, I get it. That makes so much sense to me. Yeah, it is so useful, isn't it, as a as a model. So in terms of recovery, what's been the most important aspect for you? I think there's a combination of things in that. The, the writing definitely has, actually. Mm. And it's one reason I, I don't publish as much on the blog as I used to, because I kind of made a conscious decision that I didn't want it to just be something that came out every week and it had to come out every week, because then it becomes something yeah. to do. It, it's if I had something to write about, then then I would write about it. So, so that kind of releasing a kind of creative side, which had been hidden behind so many programme reports and project reports in the past, <laughs> um, that really helped. Do you used to reflect on sessions and kind of write in between sessions? I did, yeah. I mean, I didn't used to keep a diary or anything like that up until probably started the therapy, and then I started to keep it. And that helped in terms of reflecting. Yeah, so if I came to a session, um, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it would be a week, sometimes it could be two weeks between a session. And, you know, if I turned up on that day and I was in a, in, a, in a good mood, as it were, you tend to go, oh, yeah, everything's been fine. Yeah, it's been really good this week. We're actually two days beforehand. Um, you know, it wasn't so great. So I've, I've always found it quite, I found it quite useful to actually kind of track, I guess it's almost tracking reality in a way, um, because you, you, do, you do kind of forget things. And, and also what was important for me as part of that process was to start to think about trying to identify if there was anything that particularly triggered any kind of mood swings and then and then it was also starting to do things like actually what are the you know starting to bring in some of the values piece so a little bit of kind of act elements into this in terms of okay so to today what's important for me to do um forgetting everything else that may have to happen or whatever what's what's really important and that could just be as simple as you know making making time to sit down and read a book for an hour or whatever but that's 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 what i would judge as a good thing that, that would happen that day so journaling is and I know you're you're a big fan of journaling and you CBT yeah, journal yeah. I think although people see obviously what I've written in the blog there is yeah. a, a wealth of stuff that I keep in my notebooks obviously that, that I don't share but that is that is probably one of the key things yeah the writing and the and, and the values that's fantastic do you, do you have any daily practices that you do now so yeah. the journaling is definitely one so yeah. um, I write in the morning, and write in the, after, uh, in the, at the end of the day. I tend not to, with the journals, I've, I've been up and down around different ways of doing it, you know, always yeah. including this, always including that. I just tend now to write yeah. whatever. So they've probably changed a little bit in, in time. So t- t- definitely that is one. I'm going to admit I'm not great at always doing kind of formal meditation practice. Yeah. I, I, I did a little bit more where I had a formal practice Um I don't know maybe maybe as time's gone by what I do do is I'm much more aware of being present at certain times and I know what I was saying you're just trying to take a few moments throughout the day at different times and it sounds like you check in with yourself a lot and like that keeping aligned with your values mm, is is kind of a daily practice that you do it is and then the you know old habits die hard. So one of the you know so from the control freak side of me, I know I'm quite um, self-critical, and and that was actually you know one of the things that you know I heard Mary talking about, and that was that was actually a light bulb moment with, with when I heard Mary on um, Jim Lucas's podcast when she was talking yeah. about it's the tone. First of all, work on the tone, not not necessarily changing the words, but change the tone, and 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 that was oh okay, that makes sense. And I think that's that's one piece. This is why this is part of the daily practice is just keeping an eye out for that and, and responding more compassionately. And to be honest, that's where 
the 365 Days of Compassion piece also helps because there's a daily thing there that reminds me and obviously I'm posting yeah. each day. So it, it always keeps it at the forefront of your mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's such a big part of your life now, isn't it? Do you want to tell people that might not have heard of the hashtag 365 Days of Compassion that you um, have on Twitter? I mean, it might be interesting to say how that all started as well. Cause that's a bit of an interesting so, yeah. So we're in the second we're in the second year of it now. The genesis of it, well, the, the, the idea of it, came in December. I get my years right now. December seventeen, and yeah, Mary, um, Mary, who I so 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 seventeen towards the end of that year, that was when I just come out. So I had formally finished therapy, and I did the eight week MBCT as well. Oh wow! Uh, as a as a group. Um, yeah. Again with, with Nikki, that was really good. And then the blog was up and running, and I'd always start to connect with um, various people, including yourself as well. Now you know to widen yeah. out, and and then Mary, no welfare, came up with this idea of wouldn't it be great to post something around compassion each day in the run up to Christmas, so in December seventeen. And I remember thinking she'll never keep this up. But <laughs> just thirty And we came up, and, she, and, and I, I said at the time, why don't why, we came up with a, or I came up with a couple of our different hashtag names? Um, and yeah. I, think, I think that actually might have been Nikki actually that was on the thread. Mary chose out of the ones we came up with yeah. the advent of compassion. Yeah. So being advent calendar and, and this kind of advent, the start of compassion. And so as you say, so as you say she, she started off doing it, and I think mid December. Mary then also said to people on Twitter, "Oh, if you want to, if you want to join in, you know, that, it's not just up to me. You know, if you want to start posting stuff, do so." Yeah. So a few, a few others start to do this, and it got just before Christmas, and I was thinking, "This is, this is brilliant. I, I, this has been such a help seeing these daily little videos or yeah. quotes or yeah. whatever." Now, the other thing that I, I've mentioned once already is the depression charity, um, the Blurt Foundation, and they do something called 365 Days of Self Care. Oh, uh, yeah, and and the idea being, you know, you post each day about what you, you yeah. know, how you've looked after yourself, etc. And I thought, well, there you go. There's t- <laughs> could could have put those two together. Um, I didn't. I must admit, yeah. I don't think I thought this all the way through. <laughs> but <laughs> I thought, well, could like, put, yeah, could could have put it together and have doing it every day. And um, so I made the commitment to do that, and I didn't quite know what would if anyone else would Mary yeah. kind of said yeah okay uh, a few others kind of did and and so launched day one and I think I did a Paul Gilbert quote get us off for me going and then it started going and that was that was on Twitter and I also and put it's on... fab I follow it every day I love well, it thank I you really well, and, what... I, and I try and kind of post things now and again with the hashtag mm. and, and you retweet them don't they and they get shared about but it's so nice to you know tap into twitter and see what's going on on the hashtag it's it's a lovely community it, it is and that's that's the odd that was the thing that i didn't expect at all to happen right. so i thought the idea was we'd post and i created um we had created a facebook group as well so there's one face it's on facebook as well mm-hmm. but but twitter is, is i guess is it's kind of yeah. it's home in terms of where it's kind of started and then what i started to do was two things in, in so now in January 2018 Twitter used to have a feature or still does have a feature but it's a lot harder to use now where you create a daily moment so um, you, or you can create a moment of any time actually where you just collect a group of tweets together so what I was doing at the end of each day was pulling everybody's hashtagged tweets into a moment and then you got them as a collection yeah. um, and then also I produced 
the weekly newspaper, the review newspaper, which yeah. pulls in articles and, and videos into a newspaper, online newspaper every weekend. So those kind of got up and running. And I think the moments, the daily moments really helped kind of build the community and everyone could kind of see that. And yeah. so it got towards the end of last year and I was kind of thinking, because it is a commitment, obviously you're doing it every day. And actually the moments have become a lot harder to do because of the Twitter change. You couldn't do you had to do them on a laptop, you can't do them on your app anymore. Oh, so so I kind of thought, well actually I'm gonna stop doing the moments. But what we then yeah. what I did but, but what I did then, which is which has worked I think so as again, is to have created a specific hashtag account, Twitter account. So I post yeah. on my personal one and then we've got the hashtag account which which retweets anybody's who's put out the hashtag well I, I say anybody's I do a li- yeah. I do I do I do check because we do sometimes yeah. get the odd inappropriate a rogue tweet. one we do <laughs> but for some reason we had some American football fans that were using it for about a week I don't know why anyway so I do kind of keep a little eye on what's what's being yeah. shared but but in the main it just get, all gets retweeted and then the newspapers continued every weekend as well so yeah but what is be- what is what is just what well, is beautiful actually what's happened is the community around it and that was very unexpected and there's a very very supportive community a mixture of people from different backgrounds different life experiences and it's it's what somebody once very kindly this was Fiona actually described it as a kind of little oasis on Twitter because you know I, I have very few guidelines about what gets posted as long as it's kind of relating to compassion to relating to mental yeah. well-being yeah. and people in the main stuck to that you know we don't get anything too political we don't get religious stuff it's it's about yeah. being supportive to each other and um, yeah yeah and it's global isn't it it's worldwide and it's a mix of some you know therapists and people who are just interested in compassion or um, interested in mental well-being generally so it's a it's a lovely mixture and you can ask questions or anything just get such amazing support and feedback so it's you know you've just done yeah. phenomenally with it it's no, brilliant it and then the other thing that I probably ought to mention actually because and it was again this was um, something that Mary and I were chatting about when we yeah. started off was the book club so every month we do um yeah. The, the, the book club which so mary mary's done um, a couple of those um, last year with us and yeah. you know we've had um chris irons uh, lane bowman on you know um so it's it's and that's great because it's kind of worked very well where we get an author or authors depending on, on the book get yeah. on twitter for an hour and it's open and everyone can chat it and yeah. and and you know a couple of the authors um were a bit yeah. not sure about this and not you know not big users of twitter themselves but i've absolutely loved the way that it's, it's worked in terms of oh. engaging with people so yeah. um, that is something that's that's kind of a, a kind of an offshoot of, of the hashtag but is seemingly working really well yeah it's a great resource it's and to have the opportunity to ask the authors anything can stuff mm. is it's brilliant isn't it mm. so where would you say you are in life tell us a bit about what <laughs> it's been a hell of a journey hasn't it and from project management and program management you're now doing a degree in psychology it is yeah so I've just so I just finished my first year although it's not it was I, I took the option of doing the foundation year um, yeah. For two reasons. One, um, although I kind of read a little bit around psychology, I, I did know a lot about it. So the foundation is kind of a bit of an A-level, slightly higher than A-level kind of review of psychology. Yeah. So it's given me a really good foundation in that. And then secondly, it's not quite as intense as year one, but it gets you used to uni life. And because... Yeah. 
having gone through the depression piece and 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 whether well, it's a severe depression period then I didn't I, I, it, it was a bit of a confidence booster to kind of build back slowly into it and it's been brilliant because it's allowed me to do some other things at the university as well so I don't know where the degree takes me so for, in terms of where I am now I've got another three years ahead of me to do that degree and um, so far I've really really enjoyed that I don't know where the degree takes me but for the time being that's okay I, I haven't got a plan this is <laughs> it's okay We're, we've now gone full circle there's no particular plan around this um no plan that's I have a couple of writing projects underway as well so although I'm not writing as much in the blog uh, I've got a couple of ideas that I'm hoping to collaborate with somebody on yeah. in the next um, few months to start getting that going, which would be oh. great if we can get that, that working. That, again, is around um, its compassion themes, but um, yeah. a couple of ideas around that. And I've had the opportunity, I'm very fortunate where I live, to be quite close to, um, to the Compassionate Mind Foundation where they're based. Yeah. So one thing that's been really good is chatting with Paul Gilbert and, and his daughter Hannah about the kind of community that's around the hashtag and how the, how we could link that yeah. into the, the CMF world, particularly in terms of the web page, because I don't think I'm going to speak out of turn here or say anything that's outrageous. The, the CMF web page is, is, is very professional-aimed, and I think... Yeah. Yeah. For people in therapy, like myself, you know, if you if you went to the web page to have a look at some stuff about CFT, it's a little bit limited. It um, is, yeah. And I do yeah. send people there sometimes. Yeah. I think this is a challenge actually that that it's, it's not just it's not just CMF. I think it's 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 just challenge, you know, and you know, and BABCP, um, who yeah. one of the bodies, I suppose the body in the UK for, for psychotherapists, etc. You know, they've done they did the work or they continue to do a lot of work around trying to highlight what therapy is and the different forms of therapy. Um, there's a podcast yeah. that I was incredibly fortunate to do with, with Paul Gilbert last year on CFT yeah, specifically, but there's a whole range there that you know, Lucy Maddox has done with different yeah. versions. And I think that's brilliant because they're very short episodes and you can go and get a feel for what therapy is about. Yeah, yeah, so that's a great introduction, isn't it? So I'll definitely mm. link to that. If somebody was considering therapy, what would you advise them? Because, I, I mean, like I said, I've recently just had a few sessions. I'm so nerve-wracking going to therapy. What mm. would you advise somebody who's considering it? And, and I suppose from a male point of view as well. Yeah. I think I, because I, like you very kindly invited me to write on your, your web page, actually, a post um, last year yeah. about, about therapy. Yeah. I, there's two answers I think on this one one at the time when I went in therapy it was so obvious that in the end I needed the help and you know I took all the help in the end that was that was made an offer you know so both you know signed off work um, on medication as well as then um, the therapy looking back now um, mm. the second answer is I would absolutely say to people um, to take it up and um, I think there are some things to think about. One, you know, um, and I have shared this with Nikki, you know, I chose her from a list I was given because I was very fortunate that my, my work supported um, getting to see the right. list. And, and I think I had a list of about three names and I kind of went, oh, and I, I chose Nikki. I think because she was Did you most, research Nikki most, or? No, no, I think it's because she's okay. most local. I know, that's oh, really okay. I know that's really bad to say that, isn't it? But, but, but at the time, even if I had researched, I don't think I would have known what to look for. Because, again, one, one thing that we think within um, the therapy world, there's a lot of acronyms that get used, which, yeah. are, which, which yeah. are meaningless to anybody yeah. unless you start, you know. And, and actually, and if somebody had said to me at the time, oh, you know, you want to find somebody who uses compassion-focused therapy, I would have gone, 
was that yeah why i am confident why do i need that so i think that is one of the challenges um i think if you do if you can have a look have a look at you know if you are in the right state of mind to be able to sit down and try and assess people then have a have a look at i always think have a look at what experience the people the therapist has got and i guess Mm -hmm. what range even if they are acronyms what range is because i think the really good therapists aren't don't just focus on one particular approach they can mm. use the range so you know Nick, yeah. Nick, i don't think she really had been talked about cft to start off with it was oh here's this piece about the model and here's some compassion but then we also had a bit of values which is more you know from, a, yeah. from an act point of view and i know there's a couple of therapists that i've upset when i said this but I, my view is i don't really care whether it's cft dbt abc xyz right no. if it's tailored to me as an individual I think that's where the power is and yeah. but it's very hard I think when you're looking around to know that so I think you try it I think you should also have the option when you first started to be able to say actually this isn't working for me and yeah. not to be afraid to, to walk away and I think yeah. the other thing is no one should be under an illusion that you walk into a room you have an hour chat and you walk back out and you know after a few sessions of that you know, you've got the old Disney birds around, around the head and, 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 and everything's all fine and dandy. That's not how it works. The actual sessions with the therapist are almost kind of little touch points, aren't they? I think the stuff yeah, you need to do... Yeah, it's a guide, aren't you? Yeah. It's yes, what goes on guide, in between yeah. the sessions. Yeah. yeah. And you have to yeah. be... And it's difficult, you know, when you're in something like a severe depression. That's hard. It's challenging. Um, you know, I, I yeah. will openly admit, you know, after one session... I got back in the car, I can remember this, and I was very emotional, really, really upset, and I was going, I'm not going, that's it. <laughs> really? it yeah. yeah. What got you to go back? I think I just need to get that, <laughs> that out of my system. And I think right. after, after, after I, I realised, you know, a few days, I think this is why, you know, if you have a week or maybe sometimes two weeks gaps, it helps because I think sometimes you get ideas and you need to think about them. Yeah. And you need so to know you were engaged in therapy in the session, but it sounds like you were very engaged in between the sessions. You know, you did lots of reflecting, thinking and journaling. And I just think that really helps people get the most out of therapy. But you can't it go does. to I think it came back. Yeah. I think I think you're right. And I became a bit of a therapy geek, to be honest. So, you know, I wanted to understand what CFT was. I wanted to understand what ACT was. Yeah. Because they were the only ways I could see of trying to understand what was being talked about. Yeah. And there's some great books out there, isn't there, and, and resources. There is. And, you know, I mean, um, in terms of the CFT world, it was Paul's books I first started with. That yeah. You know, Mary's, Mary's um, CFT for Dummies is an excellent book. Chris and Elaine's Compassionate Mind Workbook is, yeah. is brilliant. And then in the act world, you know, I'm not, I'm not as big a user. of I only picked up certain parts of act, you know, kind of around yeah. acceptance and the values. But the the, the book Activate Your Life by um, Jonathan John Hill and Eric Morris to me was just a brilliant book to read. It's it's very, it's got a very dry. I think you'll like the dry, warm sense of humour that runs throughout it, and it's not heavy in terms of theory it's it's written in a very very accessible way i think you're right i think you're right i think if you engage with it yeah i think it helps but i appreciate that at certain times that's challenging to do absolutely yeah and and now the question that you've been most looking forward to (laughs) 
what what if you could have a conversation with your 15 <laughs> year old self what would you say what would you want your younger self to know yeah you see, i've been now now i've been trying to think of a of a wise or witty response to this um <laughs> well, that's what i'm hoping for <laughs> i do <laughs> yeah because i was kind of thinking well maybe i should say to because because funnily enough i i actually used to live not too far away from paul gilbert so maybe I should say to my younger self, go and pay attention. To go around the corner. <laughs> go, go and stalk this. Go and stalk this man around the corner. Um, it, it's interesting because I said uh, I sensed when when I knew this question was probably going to come up. When yeah. I was trying to think about it, I could sense the number of blocks, and I suddenly realised what it was. It was because immediately I was trying to think of something that was witty or insightful, and I started to put pressure onto myself around that, which is one of my old habits, and that made me suddenly do a bit of reflection and think. That's probably what I would say to my 15-year-old self. It doesn't have to be perfect. And, you know, sometimes good, uh, often actually, good is good enough. Um, and, and, yeah. and, and, you know, don't beat yourself up when you can't, you know, when something doesn't quite go as, as you've envisaged it's going to be in terms of it being perfect. And um, yeah. I think that was just quite interesting for me to reflect upon what the answer to this question was going to be. And that's probably it, that I still still now react as going, oh, I was caught this really great, you know, <laughs> great answer. <laughs> actually, no, actually, that is the answer. It doesn't have to be great. Um, the other one that I did come into my mind was it's OK to say no as well, because I was um, terrible at often saying yes to things, even though I knew it would give oh, me right. extra work to do or... And I think um, being comfortable with that in your boundaries, the time and yeah, yeah, and yeah. your health, and and when you say yes to everything, you say no to things that are important and that lift your mood and are good for your well-being, aren't you? Totally. Yeah, yeah, we have to be so careful. That's a very wise answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about plating them all and and putting them all together for, and then That'd maybe. Be great, eh? I think so. I think every everybody's kind of saying that you know some really interesting things. I think being teenagers tough. It is. Yeah, absolutely. So how can um, people find out more about you and what you do? Is is Twitter the best place? Come and join the hashtag. So there's a couple of things there. I mean, Twitter. Yeah, they can they can follow either myself if you, if you want to put the link into my profile as well as to the, the hashtag yeah, profile i have a very strange twitter handle it's because i once got that nickname from work it's a very long and boring story so i won't do it now um <laughs> or the facebook group which you do have joined you know that that's that's um so that's just hashtag 365 days of compassion on facebook so um you can join that there's no pressure on any of these platforms to do any kind of posting people can just you know i think we've now got about 800 people in the facebook group um wow brilliant and and you know there's only a few of us actually post daily on that but that's you know that's that's fine people there's no pressure on this to do anything um if they just want to read if people want to share that's fine and then this year we've also or i've also set up on instagram as well which isn't a platform i tend to use much other than posting the kind of daily quote so one yeah. thing that i started this year was to do daily quotes these are oh, tweeted yeah. words of wisdom from 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 members of the community and so we're, i'm doing those each day so they go on instagram yeah. as well as on twitter and facebook but yeah that, that twitter is probably the easiest way to find me to start off with but Facebook group is there as well. Perfect. 
thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the last hour going through all that. You've been a, a fantastic guest. Thank you for saying yes thank to you. coming on the show. Thank you so much Good for inviting me. It's been a pleasure.